Hello, everyone, and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today we will be discussing Sleepless in Seattle and Asteroid City. Warning, spoilers ahead. Hey, Kat, how's it going? Hi, Remy. Um, I'm good. How are you today? I'm doing fine. Long week, but mm-hmm. good overall. Yeah. How was yours? It was long. Um, I've been working a lot, and things are going well at work, actually, so I'm feeling good about that, but um, it's just been a lot, but yeah, pretty decent. Did you hear that we lost one of the greats this week? No. R.I.P. to Cormac McCarthy. Oh, actually, so I didn't know that, but I did mm-hmm. see that the bookstore that I like put up like a, a section of his books. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know. I got hit with a wave of tweets on, I forget what day it was now, but the first tweet was just like a picture of the cover of Blood Meridian uh-huh. with no context. I was like, oh. That person's thinking about Blood Meridian. <laughs> and then I, like, scrolled down, and, like, the next ten tweets were all like, wow, we lost Cormac, we lost Cormac. And uh, I was like, oh, no. Um, he was 89 years old, though, so yeah. he made it pretty far, which is awesome. So yeah. happy for him for that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And to be, like, actively writing and putting out books late know, into like, your I 80s, like, that read- is, Wow. I just read The Passenger, like, less than a year ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. I think I read somewhere that he had been working on that for, like, decades, or at least a decade, and it was, like, going to be one of his, like, big projects, so Mm -hmm. I'm glad that it got finished. Imagine having, like, a magnum opus that goes unfinished. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that news just slipped by me. Yeah, some it's just my corner of Twitter for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your algorithms are like, she needs this news. Yeah, big time. Yeah, that was the big news of the week for me. Did you get to do anything fun this weekend? What did I do? Do you ever like feel like you have no idea what happened even just a day ago? Yeah. I did have a good weekend. I had to work late on Friday, which is why we're mm-hmm. recording on a different day than normal. Mm-hmm. And on Saturday, I just hung out all day with Will because I was traveling last weekend and we're going to be traveling next weekend. And I was like, we should have at least one normal hangout day because Saturday is his only day off. So Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I should hang out. And uh, yeah, we like walked around the park a bit and I showed him all the cool spots where I like walk around during my lunch breaks. Oh. And... I showed him the green heron that hangs out, uh-huh. and how weird he's how weird he looks. He's like a weird guy. This green <laughs> heron, he does not look like a normal heron. They're like oh. way more compact and strange. Oh yeah, I think that's what he is. I mean, probably if he looks he could like be a something heron. else weird. Well, he's hard to see from far away. I think he might be something different because this guy has much more white feathers than what I'm looking at on Google Images right now. And looks weirder. He's just a weird dude. I'll have to figure it out. Huh. I lost one of the birding people that are always around with their massive 
cameras Ooh. and the huge lens- lenses. You gotta get me like, in with the birding community out there. That'll be fun. Oh, they're all, they're here all the time. Yeah. They like move around in big packs. I gotta join one of those packs. Yeah. I'm sure you could just sidle up one day and be like, hey, what's going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Teach me about birds. <laughs> I did I'm join always... a bird club here, and then oh, I yeah? never went to any meetings, and I got oh. too scared. Oh, but no. I read their newsletters and just kind of creep on them. Mm-hmm. Um, they do lots of field trips and stuff. I wish I had taken advantage of it, but Maybe I got one nervous. Day. I was like, I'm so I'm such a baby birder. Like I don't know anything. Remember when we used to go to boxing club together? Oh man, boxing club! Yes. That was so fun. I really miss that. Me too. I've been trying to look into like group fitness classes here, like mm-hmm. that, but it's just such a fucking pain to like get somewhere at a specific time and rely on the train and yeah. like I don't know. Yeah, you would have to find somewhere like bunch really close to you. Yeah, and-, and I think a lot of the places really close to me shut down during COVID because mm. I was even like looking for yoga studios the other day, mm-hmm. and I'm in like a desert for them. And um, I asked my friend that used to live over here, and she was like, oh, yeah, a bunch of them are gone now. So Interesting. You would think they'd be everywhere in the city. Yeah. But there's, like, only a select handful mm-hmm. on the west side, and they're all, I don't know, like, at least 30 blocks away. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, it's weird. You got to go to the movies this weekend. I did. Right? Nice. Yeah. That's going to be what I talk about for my topic. Woo! That's exciting. Yeah. I was really struggling to find a topic this week because I was just like feeling really burnt out and like not excited about anything or Mm -hmm. I have a couple of books started where I'm like kind of in the middle of them and not fully sure if I like them. And so I was thinking and like editing our previous episode this week and I was listening to you talk about the rewatchables mm-hmm. and I was like you know what like that feels like something that I kind of need right now is like a movie that I like and am just not thinking of it's not like at the forefront of my mind uh-huh. but like maybe if I like scroll through the rewatchables episodes it'll like jog my memory of something that I want to cover yeah. And so I didn't have to scroll very far before I found Sleepless in Seattle. And I was like, oh, this, like, I remember watching this as a kid and really, really liking it. Mm-hmm. And so it was five in the morning on Friday <laughs> when we normally record. And I was assuming we would record that evening. And I was like, I got to find something. So I watched yeah. Sleepless in Seattle at 5 a.m. Wow. Which was a great experience. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I was kind of worried that I would revisit it and not like it as much or mm-hmm. just like kind of not think it's as stellar of a film as it is. I worry about that too sometimes. And uh yeah, upon revisiting it, still solid film, like still solid performances from Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan and it's got Rosie O'Donnell in it and oh, really? she's funny. She plays like the friend character to Meg Ryan's character. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just thought it was really enjoyable. Did you listen to the Rewatchables episode? I didn't. You I, only, I only used it to <laughs> uh, figure out what I wanted to watch. But I do have every intention of listening to it. I just um, didn't get around to it this weekend. Mm-hmm. But 
If you haven't seen Sleepless in Seattle, it is a 1993 film that was uh, written and directed by Nora Ephron, who is like a big name in the 90s rom-com scene. Emily Henry gets a lot of her inspiration from Nora Ephron films, which I think is really interesting. And um, I remember being a kid and like asking my mom to watch (laughs) Sleepless in Seattle and... My mom and I watched like a lot of Tom Hanks movies growing up. She was like mm-hmm. a big fan of Castaway and Turner and Hooch. And um, I'm trying to think of what else we watch a lot of. Nothing else comes to mind right now. Okay. But uh, I watched Turner and Hooch a lot. That's like one really? of the movies that like made me cry the most as a kid. Did you have it on VHS? I did have it on VHS. Yeah. That explains it. Yeah. Yeah. So the plot of Sleepless in Seattle revolves around Sam, who is played by Tom Hanks, and his son, Jonah, who moved to Seattle after Sam loses his wife. And you kind of see Sam grieving the loss of his wife, and people are trying to and struggling to help him through this grief. But when someone loses a partner, like, it's really hard to know the right things to do and the right things to say and how to help someone through that. So you see people trying to give him business cards for support groups and Mm -hmm. his sister is telling him like, you'll meet someone new. And he's like, no, this doesn't happen twice. Like you can't meet another person that you just have this like magic with. And so you see him go through this grieving process. They move to Seattle and on Christmas Eve, his son Jonah calls into a radio station that has this like psychologist, um, like helpline type mm-hmm. person. And the question that they're asking everyone is, what is your Christmas wish? And Jonah says that his Christmas wish is for his dad to find a new wife. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the psychologist is like, oh, can you put your dad on the phone? Because I want to help him and I want to talk to him. And as this is all going on, we're also seeing our secondary character or like our second lead who is in her car listening to this radio station. Her name's Annie. She's played by Meg Ryan. And um, she's just like flipping through radio stations and lands on this one and almost turns it off when she realizes that it's just like one of these like kind of almost predatory help shows where sure. they're just like kind of taking advantage of people's uh, problems to get listens. Okay, so she's not a regular listener of the program. No. And so she's, like, taken by this story and this kid on this radio station. And so she stays (laughs) to listen. And she listens as Sam, like, gets on the phone. And there's this really great car scene where she's in her car listening to this. And she's, like, responding to things that the... the host is saying and he's saying the exact same thing at the exact same time and so Uh um she's like the host will say i don't want to intrude on your boundaries or something and she'll go sure you don't and he says sure you don't at the same time and she's like whoa (laughs) Um, (laughs) and so she just feels like this connection with sam over in seattle and um Where is she? She's in Baltimore. So she's like completely across the country from him. And um, another complication is that she just got engaged to (gasps) a character played by Bill Pullman. Oh, my God. I was just going to say, is it it my poor 
<laughs> my poor Bill Pullman. Yeah, your poor Bill Pullman. His name is Walter, and oh he God. is a lovely boy. Um, so lovely. He's allergic to everything. He's sneezing uh, all the time. It's so <laughs> disgusting. It's like it's so unfair to, to Bill. I know. So unfair. But he's he's lovely, and I love. That in this film, it's not that, like, anything's wrong with this person. It's just that she starts considering whether or not there's, like, this spark and whether or not, like, she's fully fulfilled with this character, Walter. Not Bill Pullman. Just this character, Walter. I know, I know. (laughs) Valid. All valid questions. (laughs) Um, And so she writes a letter. So, like, basically this radio show has a system where you can write a letter to the radio show and they'll forward it on to whoever the caller was. So she writes a letter to Sleepless in Seattle. So they take your personal information? It's predatory. It's like crazy. So he's getting all of these letters from all of these like desperate women. They should not let children call into this program. They should not. Yes. It should be illegal. (laughs) Um, And so... Tom Hanks's character starts getting all of these letters from all of these women who like want to sleep with him and <laughs> uh, grant this kid's Christmas wish. And so Annie is another one of those letters, but she is writing it and she suggests that they meet at the Empire State Building on Valentine's Day, a la Affair to Remember. Like, so she's like inspired by Affair to Remember. She's watching it while she's writing it. Her and Rosie O'Donnell are talking about this film. And so Jonah gets this letter and he reads it and he becomes convinced that Annie is the person that his dad needs to marry. And so a lot of shenanigans ensue. Children are wild and (laughs) cunning. I feel Um, like Jonah's already done a lot (laughs) so far. Yeah. He's very involved. Yes. He's very concerned. But just kind of goes from there. They end up meeting and there's this like magical spark. And how does Jonah get Tom Hanks to New York City? Jonah becomes friends with a small girl named Jessica, who is insane. And (laughs) she, her parents are travel agents. So she says, like, you've got to get to New York. And so she buys him a ticket, like she steals her parents' travel agency stuff to get him a ticket, lies to say that he's like 12, but is short for his age and like doesn't need to fly a company, like so on and so forth. So he flies to New York on his own. He like runs away from home to meet Annie. Oh, he goes on his own. He goes on his own. That is insane. And then Tom Hanks is like freaked out. So he goes to New York. Naturally. (laughs) And Annie's also there with Bill Pullman. And they're Uh like registering things for their like Annie. (laughs) (laughs) And they go to dinner. And she can see the Empire State Building from where they go to dinner. And she's Uh like, oh, I've got to tell you something. Like, I don't think he's there. But, like, this is what I've been up to. Oh, my God. And Bill Pullman's like, well, I don't want to be, like, someone that you're settling for. Like, go. He's a wise man. Yeah. And I like the way he handles it. Where, like, it's clear that, like, this kind of sucks for him. But also, like, he doesn't want her to, like be this unhappy and resentful like he yeah, has obviously <laughs> yeah so 
Uh, I like the way that it plays out. I think it's cute. And so they end up meeting and it's like this magical moment. And it kind of ends on that note where you don't really know where it goes from there, but it's all implied. Do you find out how much trouble Jonah gets in? Zero <laughs> trouble. Zero. Oh, no. Uh, this is dad. why he has behavioral issues. <laughs> I know. His dad just, like, runs up to him and hugs him, and it's sweet. It's a sweet mm-hmm. moment because he was mm-hmm. so nervous. So he's being rewarded for misbehaving. Yes. <laughs> yes, he is. Listen, <laughs> when you're a single dad, sometimes you don't always make the right decision. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that's, like, the plot. And um, I really like the movie. Uh, it has some moments that, like, really stick out to me uh, comedically and uh, just, like, in terms of meaningfulness. I especially, like, at the beginning of the film when they are showing Sam coping with the death of his wife. And when he's on this radio show, he kind of has this short monologue where he gets asked, what are you going to do by the host? And like, where do you kind of go from here? And he says, well, I'm going to get out of bed every morning, breathe in and out all day long. And then after a while, I won't have to remind myself to get out of bed. And then after a while, I won't have to think about how I had it great for a little while. And I like the way that was written. I think that it kind of just depicts this, like, you just have to, like, break things down into their base parts and just get through every day until it's not so hard. And, yeah, I think that Tom Hanks's performance in that scene is just, like, really good and tender. And he could have, like, gotten angry at his son for calling this radio show and, like, airing out his business on the radio. But of course. he doesn't, and he understands that Jonah's, like, having a hard time and is worried about him. And so they, like, sit on the couch together, and Jonah, like, curls up in his lap, and it's really sweet. And it's, like, mm-hmm. just this lovely, tender moment. He's not mm-hmm. angry. Like, does he want to be doing this? No. But, like, <laughs> he understands that his kid is having a hard time, and I think that's really nice. Mm-hmm. Um. And there are lots of, like, tender moments uh, between Jonah and his father throughout the film. There's this one scene where Annie actually has flown out to Seattle and is just, like, trying to interact with him. But things just keep happening. Like, she shows up at his house to, like, knock on the door. She's a journalist, so it's under the guise of journalism of, like, Um. I'm writing a story about call-in talk shows and things like that. But... It's low-grade stalking. Um, mm-hmm. And he has, like, just gotten on his little boat with his son. And so she, like, follows the boat, like, going on the streets and, like, looking for this boat. And she sees mm-hmm. them playing at the beach. And they play at the beach all day. And it's just, like, this really sweet scene. And she doesn't interrupt it. And then they just go home. And she doesn't end up interacting with him. And she just ends up getting back on her plane and never fully meeting this man. Interesting. Yeah. But then there's also Jonah has a bad dream one night and his mother always used to comfort him and like sing him back to sleep when he had bad dreams. But there's like this really tender interaction between Sam and Jonah where Jonah says he thinks he's forgetting his mom because he's at like an age where he is eventually going to like forget a lot of details about his mom and that scares him. Mm -hmm. And so Tom Hanks like starts describing all of these features about 
uh, his late wife. And uh, it's just really a sweet scene. It always makes me cry. Um, But then there's lots of funny moments, too. Like uh, Tom Hanks tries to date this woman. Um, and Jonah's like not having it. He's like, Annie, all the way. You can't date this woman. She's the worst. She laughs like a hyena. And he's just like so anti this woman. It's very sweet. It's very funny. Um, but leads to like these interesting conversations about like, I am just dating her. I'm not going to marry her necessarily. Like we date people to get to know them. And it like has all these educational moments. And then, yeah, I guess the last, I mean, there are just like a ton of great comedic moments throughout it. Um, but there's also this like really dreamy, like kind of oldies music that it's all set to. Um, mm-hmm. so it's like Nat King Cole and Harry Connick Jr. and Louis Armstrong and Tammy Wynette. And so just like all of these like 1930s, 1940s, musicians and kind of just like that energy to it, which I thought was a different approach, but I thought it added to the experience of watching the film. And yeah, it wasn't just like a kind of normal score. But yeah, I think that it's just a simple feel good film that kind of deals with some heavier topics like parenting Mm -hmm. through grief and dealing with your own grief and kind of moving on from something that meant a lot to you and still does mean a lot to you. Mm-hmm. And I like that the, I feel like one of the take home messages is like, yeah, you might be struggling with grieving somebody, but moving on doesn't necessarily mean that you no longer love and care about that person. It only means that this is like a new chapter. And so I think that that's just a nice a nice theme to kind of see in this film. Yeah. And I also like that there is the complimentary story of like knowing that settling is not the right path for you and like knowing when you're settling and knowing how to have the courage to avoid that type of inertia that sometimes people yeah. fall prey to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And also understanding that settling isn't fair to your partner either. Right. Like mm-hmm. that sucks for them. They don't want to be that person for you. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. But yeah, just an entertaining, good rom-com. I'm glad it got you out of your funk. It did. It did. And I don't hate watching movies in the morning, so I might try to <laughs> do that a bit more. Yeah. Uh, just throw on a movie anytime. But yeah, you texted me your pick for the day. And I was like, I am starting to see some overlap. <laughs> so I know. I'm excited to hear your takes on Asteroid City and hear how you liked it. Yeah. Speaking of movies in the morning, my pick of this week is the new Wes Anderson film, Asteroid City, which is in limited release right now. Um, luckily my main theater is running it and they had like many matinee options to choose from. <laughs> so I went with the 10 a.m. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which was perfect, perfectly timed for me and really enjoyable. And that was just this morning. So I'm still kind of processing things, mm-hmm. but 
I was also having a similar experience to you lately where not a lot of stuff was really getting me excited. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about this week. I really hope Asteroid City is good because I like <laughs> all my other leads are cold right now mm-hmm. or like not finished or you know what I mean. Yeah. So I was like, damn, I really hope this movie's good. And uh, luckily for me, it was a really, a really immersive experience mm-hmm. and definitely had features that were different from what I expected just from watching the trailer. And so I'm excited to tell you what I loved about it in a spoiler-free way, or at least I'm going to like keep it to information you can glean from the trailer. Um, Cause I know you're going to see it. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I don't want to ruin anything for you, but uh, luckily it's not really a type of film you can spoil so much, mm-hmm. um, which is fun for me. So like I said, this is a film directed by Wes Anderson. He co-wrote the film with Roman Coppola and it stars Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, and Tom Hanks, along with many, many other uh, Wes Anderson regulars, as well as a few newcomers. But the cast is huge, and it's a million people you know and love, so <laughs> that's to be expected. And in a general sense, you can tell from the trailer that this tells the story of a small desert community in a tiny town called Asteroid City out in the American West. And there is a convention slash small meeting in Asteroid City for amateur stargazers slash like teen inventors that invent um, tools and devices that can be applied to the study of space and or space exploration. And so these kids that are involved in this endeavor and their parents are in town for the convention. And we see them interacting in Asteroid City. And then the inciting event, essentially at the end of the first act, is that there is an extraterrestrial encounter. <laughs> and so you watch the <laughs> the aftermath of that unfold. Mm-hmm. And... Our main character that we follow for the majority of the film is uh, Augie, and he is a war photographer. He's played by Jason Schwartzman, and this film generally takes place around 1955, so like mid-century, mid-20th century America, and Augie Steenbeck, he is our main character, and he is the father of four. And at the beginning of the film, we find out that his wife has passed away a number of weeks earlier, but he hasn't yet told his children. Mm. So part of his grieving process involves uh, trying to find the right time to tell them, Mm -hmm. but never finding the right time yet. And so you can see, like, from that alone, he's kind of struggling with processing Mm -hmm. everything that's going on with the the death of his wife. And his father-in-law is Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks is like, you got to tell these kids that their mom died. What's wrong with you? And uh, he knows that. And so that's Mm -hmm. one of the 
uh, initial tensions of the film is like knowing that Jason Schwartzman, Augie, has to has to tell this news to his kids. <sighs> and you follow him for most of the film, but you also kind of check in with a lot of the other cast of characters that you meet along the way, um, especially the the teens that are involved in this conference and their parents. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the main plot, essentially. Obviously, other stuff happens, but that's the main setup. Mm-hmm. And something that was really unexpected and interesting to me, because I didn't know this was going to be part of the story based on the trailer, but this isn't like really a, a spoiler. It's one of those types of stories that is a multi-tiered narrative. Mm-hmm that we talk about frequently. Um, a lot of times we talk about books this way. Um, but this film is technically a story that's framed as a play within a play, within a TV show, within the film that you're watching. <laughs> oh, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And so there's like many convolutions and mm-hmm. crossovers and... Um, breaking of walls between different narrative frames mm-hmm. and it sounds a little overwhelming when you put it that way i myself could not have told you the exact order of the russian doll layers of narrative <laughs> um just after one viewing i kind of looked at a couple of reviews to be like how how many layers was I looking at exactly? Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, it's a play within a play within a TV show within a movie. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, but what I really like about it is that you don't need to totally understand the rules of how everything works mm-hmm. in order to appreciate and enjoy the movie. Like these are all kind of um, ways to aid the storytelling rather mm-hmm. than the focus of the plot. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's interesting because the film, it gives like explicit attention to the structure of stories. So there's like breaks for not just like the three acts, but for like chunks of scenes within each act. It'll like put up a text on the screen that says like act one scenes four through eight or something Mm -hmm. like that. And so it like, draws your attention repeatedly to the structure of the story you're watching and where you are within the story. And so it's it's kind of like constantly reminding you that you're watching a, an invented narrative. Mm-hmm. But for me, that like didn't detract at all from still emotionally connecting with that narrative, even though there's like so much reveal of the artifice of storytelling in film. It almost like made it even more of an achievement that I felt so connected to the characters that were in the story and felt so connected to the emotional experiences that they were having, despite like the plain reveal of the artifice of storytelling and filmmaking. Um, And on top of that, it moves pretty quickly pace wise. And you get like a lot of information, like, There's so much to unpack from the dialogue that I was immediately like, wow, I need to watch this like two or three more times in order to 
fully appreciate everything that's happening right now. So at this point in time, I've only seen it once, but I um, I can't wait to see it again because <laughs> there's so much to unpack, like you could expect from a multi-tiered narrative. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I'm hoping to go again this week. Nice. But in terms of the themes and like the philosophy and the emotional impact of the movie, it really like makes no difference at all whether you can parse all of the different layers in a single viewing. Um, like I was saying, I don't think it detracts from your experience, but I can see how maybe that could be a turnoff for some people, but I liked it. And it certainly doesn't, um, take away from the fact that it's very much a film about grief and love and art, expression, exploration, and identity, and uncertainty in the face of, like, huge existential questions Mm -hmm. and the acceptance of who you are and who your family members are. It's still tackling a big number of big themes and big ideas. And I love that type of ambition in Mm -hmm. a film. And so while it's like certainly a very Wes Anderson movie in that it has, you know, great camera movement as always and the like classic visual style that you'd expect from Wes Anderson, it has the sort of X factor which is the thing that I actually have always loved most about Wes Anderson. I think that it kind of bothers me when people define him by his visual style alone. Mm -hmm. Um, So like a lot of the stuff like on TikTok lately has like zeroed in on like his visual style or editing choices or stuff of that nature. And while I'm glad that people appreciate that because he is so good at it, I don't like when people make the argument that that is the only thing he's good at. Mm -hmm. And that is the only thing he brings to the table because what I've always enjoyed about him ever since I like first started paying attention to who he was back in college is that I really think that the most interesting aspects of his films are like the strong philosophical threads that he pulls through all of his characters and his stories And that is very much present in this film. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was like a return to that feeling of like being really excited about the way Wes is presenting a philosophy through dialogue and character. And for me, that was like extremely satisfying. And I like identify with his characters coming to terms with their lives and their nature as individuals on an existential plane. I think that's a through line that a lot of his films have that I've always enjoyed. And I like that he explores really big ideas like loss and purpose and what we owe to each other. And he does it with just really interesting characters that can be quirky, but they're still like easy to connect to because they're very human and they're struggling with these like core human struggles and so as a film like I really liked Asteroid City because it felt like a return to that form that I've always enjoyed about about Wes and his movies and it was like easy to see a piece of myself 
in the story. And I think that's a really cool achievement to have that type of connection with characters, even when the structure of the story is so constrained. And even when the, the style and the visuals are so otherworldly in that, like, it's kind of um, visually a lot like stagecraft. Um, even despite all of that, it's emotionally evocative. And so I think that's really an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to highlight my favorite scene without giving much away. So if you've seen the film, there's a scene that happens in Act 3 where Augie, Jason Schwartzman's character, he exits the play to take a break and like get some air out on a balcony. And he ends up having a conversation with another actor who's standing on the balcony opposite from him. And it was a really fascinating conversation. They end up, you know, in text, just talking about a scene that was cut from the play. But when they describe the scene to each other, it's about so much more than that. Mm -hmm. And it's about love and loss. And it's this like incredibly emotionally resonant interaction between these two people, even though it's like about a fake play that never existed (laughs) and roles that never existed. But the emotional truth of their discussion is so pure that it is just an incredible conversation to watch and so striking and so emotionally resonant. It was the huge highlight of the film for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really enjoyed that. And so there's obviously like a lot of emotional richness and depth, but this is also really well balanced with humor as well. There was a lot of laughs in my theater and I laughed several times. There's, uh, there's definitely like a diversity of moments where some people laughed and some didn't. And there's like a mix of humor for lots of different people's, you know, tastes. Mm-hmm. But it was like really successful as a comedy as well, which is nice, you know, like mm-hmm. we always like a good balance between humor and <laughs> hard hitting emotion. Yeah. <laughs> um, And so that was obviously very satisfying as well. So I think the final thing that I can talk about without giving too much away is that I will give a short rundown of my top five favorite characters. Mm -hmm. And then you can just like keep an eye out for them (laughs) when you watch the film. Um, So in loose order, uh, number five, I would put Augie Steenbeck, that's Jason Schwartzman's character. He's like my favorite Wes Anderson person of all time. So it's completely unsurprising that he would be on my fave characters list. I really enjoyed this character and I was really happy he was given a a lot of focus in the story. Mm -hmm. And so I was really happy with that. My fourth favorite character was Ricky Cho. He's played by Ethan Josh Lee. He's one of the teen inventors, um, but he's also a journalist. And I really loved all of his scenes relating to journalism and his intense journalistic integrity. (laughs) I thought he was amazing. Mm -hmm. And I loved 
every piece of dialogue that he had. He was awesome. And then my top three favorite characters are all a three-way tie. <laughs> they're all of three. They're the three of Augie's daughters. Uh-huh. And their characters' names are Andromeda, Pandora, and Cassiopeia. Mm-hmm. And they're played by Ella Gracie and Willen Ferris. And they fucking rule. <laughs> they are the coolest kids I've seen on film. And I felt like... I really related to their operating energy and philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like a small anecdote that happens very early on in the film, but it really illustrated why I am like instantly liked them. Um, they all, their family, they go into this diner to get a meal mm-hmm. and the waitress like asks the three girls what they want to drink. They're like, Oh, what can I get? you three princesses to drink and all three of them were like we're not princesses and one is like i'm a vampire and the other (laughs) one is like i'm a mummy and i'm in egypt and my head was chopped off and like all this weird shit Uh and i forget what the other one said when she objected because there's like overlapping dialogue but their refutation of being princesses Mm -hmm. is uh the best and i loved it and it's very much my type of kid energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I really enjoyed them. They get up to a lot of great stuff throughout the film. And I enjoyed every second they were on screen. <laughs> they were very cool. And yeah, that's awesome. So I have a couple other like small highlights that we can get into eventually once you see the film, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did want to give a shout out to Augie's still photography in the film like Mm -hmm. i said he's a photographer by trade and they show some of his photography in the film and he does a really good job he's a great photographer (laughs) i love his photos and um yeah there were a couple reviews that i read after i got out of the film and i was like i need someone to corroborate what i just witnessed Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so i really enjoyed Bilga Ibiri's review uh, from Vulture. And I also really enjoyed David Ehrlich's review over on IndieWire. They both uh, seemed to enjoy the film immensely and also had the same favorite scene as me. And I think we all enjoyed it in uh, similar ways. But yeah, I just loved it. It was like such a a satisfying exploration of like the relationship between pain and love and it's just so many themes cat it's i can't wait to watch it again and unpack it in more detail after you've seen it yeah that'll be great yeah i think i'm planning to go see it next weekend mm-hmm. my mom will be out so i think that'll be a fun fun thing to do while she's out yeah definitely mm-hmm. yeah, yeah there it's like good for all ages there was like a family a full family sitting in front of me in the theater and they all seemed to be having a great time oh awesome Mm -hmm. yeah did i tell you (laughs) did i tell you what she said about the royal tenenbaums who your mom Mm -hmm. no what'd she say uh i had mentioned to her that i really liked it and she was like oh yeah i remember watching that movie when it came out it was weird but i liked it (laughs) yeah yeah I feel like that's a lot of Wes Anderson's movies. They're weird, but they're good. Yeah, this one is 
like extra layers of weird because of the mm-hmm. heavy framing elements. But like I said, I, I think it really works. And as long as you don't get too caught up in trying to parse those layers at the expense of keeping up with the emotional beats, then I mm-hmm. think you'll be fine. I'm excited. I feel like this is just different than what I expected from yeah. a Wes Anderson film without even seeing it. Um, specifically in the sense that there is an extraterrestrial. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to be mad if the extraterrestrial's fake and in a play. I want it to be a real <laughs> extraterrestrial. I see. I want it to be E.T. vibing well, out. I think you're going to like it either way. Yeah. I'm excited. I need to buy my ticket. Yeah. Before they all get snapped up. Oh, yeah. You're going to have some heavy competition, I'm sure. Gotta get my ticket. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds really good. I'm glad that you liked it. I I thought you would, but I was hoping. I was hoping I would get to hear your takes on it before I went and saw it. So Yeah. I'm glad it was in limited release for you. Yeah. I liked it more than I was expecting, hmm. which is really cool. And it was just really captivating in a strange way. Like when I left the theater, like I was, I had been so engaged by the film that I like left the theater and was walking down the sidewalk and I was like, okay, I'm in reality now. Like these are real people. I have to pay attention. Like mm. I was like, I'm not in like a fake story anymore where I'm just watching characters in a film like I had to re-engage with reality mm-hmm. afterwards like that's how deeply focused I was in the film yeah. which I mean that's great to be transported like that mm-hmm. it's good stuff yeah yeah I'm excited to hear what you think I can't wait to talk to you about the balcony scene and a bunch of other stuff mm-hmm. yeah yeah this definitely sounds like an update episode yeah. A spoiler update will be coming. <laughs> Have you finished your Wes Anderson 101? Or is no. there one more film left? There's one more film, and I missed last week's film because oh, I had a hellish day on Tuesday. So. That sucks. I'm sorry. It's okay. So you missed Moonrise Kingdom? I did miss Moonrise Kingdom. I was sad you, about it. But I've yeah. already seen that one. Right, so. right, right. Yeah. You know what I really love about Moonrise Kingdom? Hmm. Bruce Willis's character. <laughs> he does a great job, and I love his character. Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head. Like I mentioned, I haven't seen it in many years, but mm-hmm. um, almost 10 years, probably, because it was a 2012 film, and I watched it shortly after it came out. So, yeah. Wow. That was a wow. decade ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I do love Bruce Willis just in general. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's streaming on Amazon, so I've been meaning to catch up on it and watch it, but um, just didn't get around to it. Do you think you'll go to the final film? Yeah, I will try. Is that Grand Budapest? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm excited to see that one in the theater because I I didn't. I didn't watch that until starting grad school, actually. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Yeah. I want to hear what... um, the speaker guy thinks about Asteroid City. Yeah. You should write him an email. <laughs> be like, hey, he could be on our update. Oh <laughs> my god, you him should invite update. him. Okay. Let's do it. Hell cool. yeah. I'd be so down for that. 
Yeah, that'd be cool. Talking with a Wes expert about, like, Wes's <laughs> most yeah interesting and complex and layered film. That'd be really fun. Cool. Yeah, I think he would be down to do something like that. I think he's got his own podcast that he oh, does, yeah? potentially. Ooh, I should see if he has an Asteroid City app. Yeah, I'm not sure. Are we ready to do our friend diagram? I'm ready if you okay. are. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, what do these films have in common? Tom Hanks is there. <laughs> oh, Tom Hanks, yes. I didn't really touch on him, except when I explained he's um, Augie's father-in-law, but he did a really good job. I really liked his character as well. Mm-hmm. He just missed my top five characters. Mm-hmm. I found him quite enjoyable. Cool. Tom Hanks is so freaking cool. <laughs> I love him. Um, you should tell your mom he's in Asteroid City. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think she would I think she would enjoy watching it. Yeah, and we can always play skee ball if we go to yeah. a film scene and go over go over and play some skee ball. Love, love that. Ski ball. Um yeah. I mean they have similar themes of like Grief and love. Um, we both touched on that um, aspect of things. And um, yeah, I didn't even get into like another part of the central plot, which is um, Augie and Scarlett Johansson's character, mm-hmm. like having a burgeoning romance. Yeah. And so it's definitely about like a widower who's a father who is also like trying to process their grief. And mm-hmm. also eventually move on romantically. Yeah. So all of those are are present in both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I liked how that was portrayed in the trailer. That, like, yeah. made me intrigued about watching the film. I Definitely. think that they did a really good job on that trailer. Yeah. Yeah. Props to whoever put that together. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Um, oh, and I saw that Maya Hawk is in it. And I'm she excited is. to see her. Um, everyone's in it. There's so many people. Yeah. She was like one of my favorite people in Stranger Things. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm really excited to see what she does from here on. Yeah, me too. So I'm excited to see her performance in that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with those themes, there comes like this emotionally evocative nature Mm -hmm. to both of the films. Um, I mean, in Sleepless in Seattle, there are definitely multiple times where it like hits you and like I I mean I'm a crier I cry (laughs) at pretty much every film that wants me to cry at it so Uh uh um but I I like that and it feels cathartic and you don't leave sleepless in Seattle feeling bad by any means you don't feel like sad when you leave Mm -hmm. yeah yeah another big overlap I don't think I brought this through in my description, but one thing they definitely had in common was the machinations of precocious children. <laughs> it sounds like Jonah did like a lot of scheming <laughs> and the precocious teens in this movie do a lot of like highly effective scheming as Love well. That. Yeah. So there's a lot of that going on too. <laughs> do they get in trouble or do they get rewarded? Oh, good question. Let me think about that. <laughs> um, what is the ultimate consequence? See, that's the thing. It's like the like plot plot 
doesn't matter that much because mm-hmm. like all of the real things that matter are like the relationships. Mm-hmm. And so I don't even remember if they get in trouble. <laughs> There's definitely like threats of getting in trouble from the yeah. US military and some such. But <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, because of course the militaries there, aliens are involved. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, they, uh, they're just doing their thing no matter what. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That sounds super entertaining. They cannot be deterred. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, you mentioned as well there being this, like, comedic element to the film. And that's something that in Wes Anderson's films in general that I've seen, I find that he balances just really well the comedic and dramatic aspects of his films. And um, I think that that's also a strength in Sleepless in Seattle. Obviously, Sleepless in Seattle is meant to be kind of this rom-com type film. And so it's kind of meant to be a funny film. But I do think that the comedy holds up, at least for me. It's a very, like, 90s, almost sitcom-y type of comedy. Um, mm-hmm. It's, like, different than I think we see in films today. But still, high-quality comedy in there. So, yeah. Uh, that was another thing I like thought of while I was saying it and then mm-hmm. didn't write it down. And I was like, I hope Kat caught that one because this is definitely an overlap, but I couldn't uh-huh. remember it. <laughs> so I'm glad you remembered. Yeah, mm-hmm. big time. Really good balance of humor mm-hmm. and like heavier topics. Yeah. Um, yeah, sometimes that's one of the best ways to work through grief is just laughing with your friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it just... It helps you, like, process the important things that a movie's trying to say when you're not, like, crying through an entire movie or you're, like, fatigued by the dramatic elements, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So you're more able to understand the message. So as long as the comedy's not too prominent, you're still able to, like, get something meaningful out of it, you know? Oh, definitely. Yeah. That's all I had. Do you have any other ones? No, those are all the overlaps I had. Nice. Yeah, I'm really excited to go see that. Mm-hmm. Um, that will be premiering the day that this episode comes out for yeah. general release. So mm-hmm. uh, if you're listening to this, go check out Asteroid City in a theater near you. Support local cinemas. We love them and we want them forever. Yeah. And let us know what you think. Yeah. friendiagrampod at gmail.com we're really curious what you guys think of the film do you think it's one of Wes's best mm-hmm. what's uh what's your opinion yeah and if you're interested in the reviews that Remy mentioned I will have those linked in the show notes so go check those out um in the episode notes and yeah uh, if you're interested in watching Sleepless in Seattle, it's streaming on Netflix. So mm, good to know. Go check that out. Uh, if you're if you want to have the cat experience, you can watch it at 5 a.m. It's a <laughs> good 5 a.m. pre-work cry movie. So <laughs> fit in fit in your cry early. Um. <laughs> Amazing. Oh uh, yeah. Oh boy, we're not broken people.
Thanks for joining us this week on Friend Diagram. Thank you to Tyler Seek for the creation of our intro and outro music. Did you take any of our recommendations? Have any thoughts on the show? Let us know at frienddiagrampod at gmail.com and we might read your email on a future episode. If you can, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app of choice, and we'll see you back here, same place, next week. Bye for now.